0: everything I say after this, keep this in mind, the goal is always reconciliation. When I say that the goal is always reconciliation, this is important to realize. This means that the goal in all of this is not getting what you want. So the purpose of of peacemaking, of negotiation, isn't so that you can use the right techniques to get the best deal that's in your favor. The goal is also not just to get good feelings for yourself out of this to get relief from uh, attention or anxiety that you have the goal is reconciliation and re- what reconciliation means is a repaired relationship it means peace between two people that maybe at a time you had a different relationship it got torn apart because of uh, sin and conflict and reconciliation is putting that that back together this is very important to God. This is a very important in God's word. We know this is important uh, to Jesus himself. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this in verses 23 through 24. He says, if you are offering a gift at the altar, okay, you're in the middle of worship, and there remember that your brother has something against you. It says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift. It's showing how important this was to Jesus. This is not an afterthought that we're supposed to do, that this uh, takes priority. I think it's also helpful to remember that reconciliation is always the goal, uh, because I think there's some teaching that in recent years has gone on within, within churches that has a big element of truth but sometimes can be taken the wrong way. That sometimes we have been uh, taught that forgiveness is, is about us and our feelings. It, it doesn't really matter if we're reconciled to the other person. It doesn't really matter uh, what happens there. That, that we are supposed to uh, forgive them so that we can have that burden lifted from us and we can go on with our lives. Now, there's a big element of truth in that because many times the other person is not going to change. The other person is not willing to reconcile with you. And there may be situations where that just isn't going to work out for one reason or another. And then it is good to remember that there is still a choice that we can make to, to release them from that, that hatred, that anger in our hearts, and to offer them uh, forgiveness so it keeps us from tearing ourselves apart and uh, becoming just enslaved to, to to bitterness. That is really important, and that is true. And many people have needed to hear that. The way that sometimes people have taken that the wrong way is they made forgiveness primarily about that Pri- forgiveness primarily about our own feelings and you know th- therapeutically feeling better about ourselves. I was reminded of that uh, this past week. Um, I saw a post uh, several weeks ago. We had uh, Dr. Mike Whitmer here from from the seminary. And I saw something he posted online that I thought was very insightful. And then some of the discussion that came after this. I'll, I'll read this post. He wrote, God didn't forgive us so he could move on, free from the power we once had over him. If we are to forgive like him, then this shouldn't be the main reason we forgive others. Our emotional health is a great benefit of forgiveness, but it's a lousy goal. Better to aim for reconciliation. I know That's a great point, and that really fits in with this whole series. But I thought it also was interesting with some of the pushback that I saw on, on this post. And some of it were people that, some maybe just weren't quite getting the point, Uh, Maybe some that had it so ingrained in them that no, forgiveness is about you feeling better and being released from this bitterness that they were not quite understanding what he's saying. But also some realizing, you know, well, if reconciliation is all the goal, but sometimes other people won't reconcile. And some people made the good point too, what about situations where somebody is in an abusive relationship? Somebody's been uh, physically abused, sexually abused, Sometimes there's situations where the relationship can't and shouldn't go back to the way it was. And I think that's important to realize. And I want to come back and talk to that about that at the end. But the more I thought about it, and I'll, I'll explain why I'm thinking this, I still think reconciliation is always ultimately the goal. So... I am aware of these other situations. I'll come back and tell you why I think still reconciliation is always the goal, um, and uh, but we'll, I'll keep you in suspense until the end. But to realize too that sometimes we can focus on uh, some of the hard cases, where oftentimes the majority of the situations that we face isn't dealing with that. The majority of the situations are times where we can, it might be hard, it might be a lot of work, and it might take, you know, uh, more than one little conversation, but we can work things and have real reconciliation with people, um, you know, in this life and sooner than than we think. But those others, they may be the the minority, uh, but they are real. And I know that there are situations here, probably many in uh, this room, where some of these uh, situations when we say reconciliation that yeah you probably shouldn't be going back to that person in the same way that it it, it can't and, and shouldn't be the same so i i do realize that so we'll come back to that but reconciliation is always important one with you between people especially if it's between two believers we're definitely called to reconcile But even more, reconciliation is always and even more important between people and the Lord. And as Christians, we're called to be God's agents of reconciliation, ambassadors of reconciliation. We're supposed to be about the business of helping this happen. Yeah, both between people, but ultimately between people and the Lord. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians this is chapter 5, 17 through 21. You're going to notice the word, word reconciled or reconciliation more than once in what I'm going to read here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting for 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're a new creation once you trust Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ, Christian, if you follow Christ, if you're a new creation, you are also an ambassador of Christ for this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, that's the message of the gospel, this message of reconciliation. And all of this is founded on this message, that we worship a reconciling God who took initiative to do this at great cost to himself. He calls you to be an agent of this and to call other people, to implore them. We can't force them, but we can implore them to be reconciled. And if you are here, this is, and you are not reconciled to God yet, if you do not know that for sure, th- that's the most important thing that you can take out of this message. Uh, even more than being reconciled with people around you, first, be reconciled to God. And you can be reconciled because of what Jesus Christ did for you. There's no amount of you just repenting that can take away your sin. I and mean, it's part of what we, we need to do But what needed to happen is what it said in verse 21, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The way that you can be reconciled to God, Christian, the way that you were reconciled to God is because Jesus, who was innocent, took your sin upon himself when he went to the cross so that in trusting in him, now you're reconciled because Jesus paid the debt that you could never, ever, ever pay. You need to believe that. You need to trust Christ. It doesn't happen automatically. That's why it says we implore you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that by doing that, you are reconciled to him. So reconciliation is always the goal. Okay, that was the introduction. Here's the two main points We've talked in this mini-series about we need to glorify God, putting Him as His glory as the main purpose in everything we do, in our relationships and everything. Last week, we talked about getting the log out of our own eye. <clears throat> so I want you to hear everything that we say today with that in mind, that as we talk about confronting others who have sinned against us, that first, we are dealing with ourselves that we're trying our best to to get the sin and bad attitudes and motives and everything out of our own eye, and we keep doing that. We keep pulling the weeds out of our heart, dealing with ourselves first. We apologize for the things that are our bad first. And then we're going to talk about forgiveness at the end. There's a lot more. I'm going to have to keep moving through some of this. If you want to look at these principles more in detail... I do encourage you to get that book, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Uh, a lot of you have picked that up already. A few copies left. Uh, if, you, if you don't get one and you still want one, let us know and we can maybe uh, order some more. But this is kind of my attempt to summarize a lot of the material that is uh, in those books. So the first of the two main points for today summarized by saying, speak the truth in love. That there are times when we do need to not only after we've worked on ourselves, we need to go to the other person that is that we need to be reconciled with. Maybe we have something against them, maybe they have something against us. But either way there's a fracture in our relationship. We want to be the ones to take the initiative to go and to start healing that relationship. And we do that through through speaking. And it's always it's always the truth in love, those things together. <clears throat> Jesus said that in in, in well this is jesus example but one verse that talks about it is ephesians 4:15 saying speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is christ there is a time to speak a time to confront but it needs to be done in a loving way in a truthful way so much of what we see in the world is neither truthful nor loving and it can't be just one or the other we're not called to just speak truth without love a lot of us like to just blast, 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 and I don't don't care about the damage. No, it's it's not just truth. It's truth and love. And there's others that need to hear that it's not just love without truth. Others in the world want to just love, 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 and it doesn't matter if it's true or not. We're called to do both of these. That's not a negotiable thing. Truth and love together. And ultimately, if it's not together. It's not really love if it's not true, and it's not really true if it's not done in love. So a few principles. First, is this to, we need to choose to overlook the minor offenses. There are many things that will bug you. There are many things that you could have drive you crazy, and maybe they are real wrongs against you, but you just need to choose to just to let them go and just to overlook them. This is not the same thing as avoiding the problem. And this is biblical. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Another Proverbs 17.14 says, The beginning of strife is like Letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. There are times when we choose to just say, "I am not going to let this be a big deal. I am just, I am not going to make this into an issue." It doesn't mean that you file it away in like some you know vault of bitterness, making it a list. It means that you are actually choosing to say, "I am just letting this go." I'm just, without even dealing with this person, I'm just, I'm just going to forgive this. I'm going to bear it because of the love of Christ and just move on. A few weeks ago we talked about this kind of chart of different responses. And this is kind of adapted from the, the Peacemaker book. And I think it's helpful to remember this. That there's the, the peacemaking responses that are on top. That's the ones we want to aim for in different books that they have. They list these kind of differently. And then there's the bad responses to the side some that deal with kind of running away from the problem some where it's attacking too aggressively so overlooking is is part of the peacemaking response it's different from denial it's different from running away from it because overlooking is you notice that it's there you realize it is but you're making a conscious choice to say it is there but it's not worth uh, making this a big issue out of Because otherwise, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Otherwise, you're going to spend all day long collecting every little wrong that someone does. Every time someone looks at you wrong in the hallway, every time someone gives you a little slight or a a tiny microaggression or something, it's going to drive you nuts. And there's times where we need to just say, yep, that might be a bad thing. I'm not going to let it get to me. Ken Sandy gives this advice. He says, consider overlooking an offense if the following two conditions are met. One, the offense should not have created a wall between you and the other person to cause you to feel differently towards him or her for more than a short period of time. Okay, if it's a minor thing and you can brush it off and it's no big deal, and you can keep it from, then you can overlook it. But if it is something that is wrecking the relationship long term, yeah, then you need to deal with it. He also says the offense should not be doing serious harm to God's reputation, to the other person, or to others. So if it's doing harm in one of those areas, then it would be denial to not deal with it. You want to deal with it with the other person. So choosing to overlook actually something we need to do very often. Then we need to confront in the right way when the situation calls for it trying to use the right type of uh, peacemaking response, so not going into verbal abuse and attacking, um, over-aggressiveness, also not running away from the issue, but one of the, the appropriate responses. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives some instruction about dealing with conflict. And it shows that there are different types of responses and that ideally, it doesn't have to, to go to the, the most extreme thing that we need to do. So Matthew 18, starting with verse uh, 15, he says, "If your brother sins against you, so you've been sinned against, he says, "Go and tell him his fault." So you're going and you're confronting him on, on what happened." He says, "Between you and him alone." If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, (laughs) take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And we don't have time to do a whole sermon on this for every principle that's in here. But at least one thing that we can see from this is that there's a general principle that you want to deal with the situation with as small a circle as possible, to involve as as few people as are necessary to, to deal with the issue. And I think this is after deciding, is this something you can just overlook Okay, it's not like you have to, you know, start the process of church discipline, you know, and, and go to the, the deacon board, you know, every time, you know, someone, you know, you think they look at you wrong or something. Okay, there's going to be most of the things where we just, okay, that person's being that person, and we just, it, it's not a big deal. But there's sometimes where it is serious, and we need to deal with it. So with this, we see kind of a different steps that we take. Uh, It's not listed in Matthew, but from other scripture, yes, step one is to overlook minor offenses. But step two is when we need to talk to the person, talk to them in private. That's the best thing you can do. If you can work it out between the two of you, hopefully it doesn't need to go beyond that. That you can, you know, sometimes just a clarification can deal with so many things. You know, sometimes, you know, getting together over a cup of coffee can go a long way in helping relationships to to improve. Step three, get help from a few spiritually mature Christians. That if you need to involve one or two other people in this, that can work as kind of mediators to be with you. And if it's not working and if it's a serious enough issue to get official help from church leaders. And this is where it, it starts to get into the issue of actual church discipline, depending on what it is that um, it might be in getting help from church leaders, you know, informally, where we sit down with you and work through things. Depending on what it is, it might be something where there's official church discipline that happens. Someone is acting, if they're a brother and sister in Christ, this would be between, between Christians. We don't do church discipline with uh, people that don't claim to follow Jesus Christ, but where we need to intervene. It's something biblical that we're called to do. And, and the last step finally is if it goes through this process and it's something that someone is refusing to repent and they're acting they're acting like an unbeliever and they won't respond to church discipline says at the end it's you end up treating them like a unbeliever i mean that's worst case scenario is where they're removed from the the fellowship of the church as christians and instead we treat them as somebody that that needs to be evangelized because that's the way that they're acting so the principle here is we do need to go to them and we try to do it ideally as gently as possible, but it can grow in the intensity kind of as needed. A few other things. As we're going to focus mostly on your interaction with them. Let's say you get together with somebody and you need to talk through an issue. Here's a few other principles that are so helpful. The next is to be quick to listen. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So often we get together, people, the, the discussion goes nowhere because we're bad listeners. People just, they want to get their point out. They're more uh, concerned about firing their cannons and getting it off their chest than hearing what the other person has to say, and therefore you have two people and they're talking and uh, talking over each other. Or ever have this happen, where the other person is telling you their issue, but it's actually listening to them. You're just thinking about what your response is going to be. You're gearing up for your comeback. Here's where you're wrong. Here's where I'm going to get you. And instead of actually trying to hear their point of view and hear what they have to say, As Christians, being quick to listen means at first we're trying to understand where they're coming from. And you realize when we do that and the other person realizes we're trying to do that, that will help gain you a hearing with them so that they're more likely to listen to you if you're showing that you're willing to really do the work of trying to understand them. So this is a huge skill to develop listening it means waiting, not jumping to premature conclusions. It means disciplining yourself not to, to interrupt them while they're speaking, to, to let them continue to get their thought across. It means being attentive. It means that we're, we're not just you know, looking around. We're not uh, rehearsing our response while the other person is still talking. You realize that the human mind, we can th- they say we can think about four times faster than talk. Okay, so that means the tendency that you're going to have is to rush ahead and you're working on your response while they're still getting their, uh, they're still talking and getting their point across. So sometimes we need to, to focus on them and focus on hearing and then we develop our response. Yeah, if you need time to do that, you know, let them say their piece and then say, okay, give me a moment here to collect my thoughts and respond to you. That, that's Okay. Good techniques use clarifying statements. If you're confused, ask them questions. Hey, are, are you saying, tell me more about this? Can you give me an example? Not that you're a defense lawyer you know, doing this, but you're saying, help me understand your issue. And that'll go a long way if they realize that you, you are genuinely trying to understand this. A good technique is ref- called reflecting. And this is when you... they tell you what they're saying, and then you respond something like this. You say, what I hear you saying is, and then you summarize what they have said. You put it into your words, and you're doing this in a charitable way, and the purpose is so that they realize that that you care, you've been paying attention. They realize that you're working hard to try and understand their point of view. Okay, I hear you saying this, and if you're off, it gives them a chance to say, well, that's kind of right, but no, let me explain a little bit better. It's not ultimately that I'm upset because you didn't do you know, this chore around the house. It's because of this underlying thing. It, that's a really helpful technique. And, uh, and feel free to agree with them, not in the sense of abandoning your beliefs, but if you can acknowledge the points of agreement, the points that are true before you move ahead, it's really helpful. Uh, to say, you, you're right, I, it was wrong when I did this. It was wrong when I said this. Saying, you, you know, a lot of what you said is true. I, I need to deal with these different things. And then it can give you the opportunity to say your part after you've listened uh, to them as well. And you realize, of course, ideally if we're both doing this, it really works out really well. We need to heal with wise communication. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Using our words, not tearing down, but building up, and thinking through, are the things that I'm going to say, is this going to help this situation? Or is it going to make things worse, and I'm just saying it to make myself feel better, So things that we need to do, and this is after getting the log out of our own eye, some good just common sense tips that we need to remember. You know, choose the right place and time. Sometimes they're better than others to deal with things. Some places are better than others. What's going to be advantageous for this? Um, And go into it trying to to believe the best about the other person, not just writing them off as worst possible uh, motives. Talking in person, whenever is possible, whenever is possible, is always good. You know, if too much of our problems come, we try to deal with things through text or through emails. Uh, in these different ways, that misunderstandings happen. You know, they say that I don't know how they are able to know this for sure, but I think it's generally true that in communication, only about ten percent of your communication is the actual words that you say. That another. Um, 30% of communication Is from tone of voice You know because you could text something And they don't are you being sarcastic Or you know do you really mean this how, What is your tone Whereas if you're talking on the phone At least they can hear your tone of voice But the rest of it the other 60% They say is from body language You know you read the other person You can tell how do they really feel Are they, uh, are they upset Are they reserved Are they you know, genuinely wanting to, to reconcile so in person is best when it is possible. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes you need to write a letter first, uh, but if you can, talk in person. Plan your state, plan your words ahead of time. You'll think of how to say it in a way that is, you're not just shooting from the hip, but you're, you're trying to say it in a way that the, is going to be beneficial. The person will respond well. Using I statements Maybe some of you have heard this technique before. Instead of just you know you statements, you did this, you are terrible. Use use I statements. Um, I feel hurt when this happens because you explain it that way. I I statements. It it keeps the other person from being as defensive. We talk about how it affects you. Um, some examples from peacemaker. I feel frustrated when you fail to keep your commitments because you you play a key part in our department. As a result, I'm finding it difficult to depend on you or work with you. I feel hurt when you make fun of me in front of other people because it makes me feel stupid and foolish. As a result, I feel reluctant to go places with you. It's just a way to uh, do it. Watch your tone, watch your body language. Asking for feedback is helpful too. When we've said what we need to, you know, ask them. Um, you know, have have I explained myself? Does this make sense to you? Try and see if if they understand. And in negotiation, when there is a disagreement, and you have to come up with something. There's something you two disagree about. Going into it with a spirit of cooperation rather than competition is key. That rather than looking at it like there's a piece, there's a pie here. And you know, the more I get is the less you get, and the more you get is the less I get. Try to think how can you work in a way that it's it's beneficial to both. Well, the Bible tells us to do this. Philippians two four. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So there is a place for caring about our interests. It doesn't mean that we just roll over and let people take advantage of us. It's not saying all Christians should be, you know, suckers to every scam artist. You know, so when the deposed king of you know Nigeria's son sends you that email for your bank account, you know, we're we're not being you know foolish here, uh, <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, in a in a real relationship, you know, we are trying to see what is their interest, what is going to be good for them, uh, to. Sometimes it means thinking through this, trying to work to understand what is their genuine interest and how can you work for a creative solution that will be good. For, for both of you, and that can take wisdom, and that can take work. Second part of this message is then, first part, speaking the truth in love, but then forgiving, because there's times where ideally, yeah, someone responds in a way that they, they've repented, they've changed, and we need to be ready and eager and willing to forgive, because as Christians, we are forgiven people, Therefore, we need to be like the most forgiving people there are because we realize how much we have been forgiven. Ephesians says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians 4.32 So we think of this, making the choice to forgive That forgiveness is a decision of the will. It's not a feeling. It's not you sit around until you feel like forgiving them. You can decide to forgive even when you still feel like not forgiving them. It's not just forgetting either. Okay, forgiving someone doesn't mean that somehow you're able to take some kind of uh, you know magic potion and you don't actually remember. Um, That's just forgetting is not bad memory. That would be impossible to really do that. In scripture, when it talks about God not remembering our sins, it doesn't mean that God stops knowing everything. Okay, Isaiah forty three twenty five says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Okay, God says that, and what he means by that is that he is not going to hold our sins against us. He's not going to remember them in the sense that he holds them against us. He knows that we have sinned, okay? He can't take that out of his knowledge because he knows everything. But he's choosing to act as if it hadn't happened. He's choosing to act as if those sins have been canceled out. Whereas instead, the other option that we have is we remember those pretty well. They go on our permanent list. That's not the attitude that we have that's forgiveness, Also, forgiveness is not excusing. Just, oh, you're right, it wasn't really a big deal. No, sometimes it was a big deal. And if you just excuse instead of forgiving, sometimes that's dishonest. Sometimes it's a disservice to them because maybe they were in the wrong. You know, God didn't just excuse us, he forgave us. Forgiveness is when something is actually wrong, It implies that there's something that actually needs to be forgiven. You can excuse someone when you say, oh, it's okay, I understand your excuse. It's no big deal. God didn't do that. He didn't say, oh, yeah, you you lived this life of rebellion against me, hurting other people, but it's okay, I, I understand your excuse. No, he forgave us of actual wrong. I think it's helpful to realize that there's kind of two phases in forgiveness. That there's... A way to say this: There's an attitude of forgiveness, and there is actual the granting of of complete forgiveness. In an earlier version, Ken Sandy talked about this as positional forgiveness versus transactional forgiveness. But what this means is that there's a, a way that we can choose to, from our hearts, forgive someone even before they've repented. Okay that you can just choose to release your, your anger, your hatred towards them. And this is a good thing. We need to do this. This is godly. And yes, this does help us emotionally. Okay, And there are going to be times where the other person can't respond. Maybe the person has died. Maybe the person isn't around. Maybe they won't reconcile. But we can still always do this attitude of forgiveness. This is unconditional. There's nothing the other person needs to do. Sandy says positional forgiveness is an unconditional commitment that you make to God to strive to maintain a loving and merciful attitude towards someone who has offended you. Whereas the granting of forgiveness completion, that does require repentance on their part. It does require them to to, to come around for there to be this full forgiveness. In Luke seventeen three through four it says, Pay attention to yourselves, if your brother sins, rebuke him, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times, saying I repent, you must forgive him. Of course I think it assumes that this is this is a genuine repentance, not just lip service. So you see there's this full repentance, that, that, this full forgiveness that comes when the other person does repent, when they do have this change of heart. So there's an attitude that we can give them, but it's, it's not going to be this full repaired relationship unless the other person does have a change of heart and they do, they do repent. But we can't control that. But you can control the attitude that you have. You can tr- control that offer of forgiveness and that giving up of our our desire to, to hold them accountable to the, the hatred and anger in our heart. Getting near the end here, Ken Sandy talks about what he calls four promises of forgiveness. I'm going to give you these. I think these are, these are helpful. He says, I will not think about this incident. I will not bring up this incident again to use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident and I will not allow this incident to stand between us or to hinder our personal relationship. Now, to, to fully do this requires the other person to, to, to repent, to come back to this. Otherwise, it, it, the issue is still there and still needs to be dealt with. But you're not going to think about this. You're not going to be dwelling on this. You're harboring this. I always, when you think of this person, your mind immediately goes to, oh, they did this wrong to me. There are some people that it'd be like twenty years ago and they still think they can't get apart from something that this other person did. We're not using it against them. We're not having this list that I have that next time you upset me, I'm gonna pull out from the vault here all your wrongs. Or when I do something wrong, I'm gonna at least I got this, so I can still hold it against you. We're not talking to others about it. Yeah, well this person did this. Or allowing it to stand between the personal relationship. Now, let me say also, forgiveness does not automatically release a wrongdoer from all the consequences of sin okay I mean there's times that, that that we have you know full complete pardon of sin, but there's other times in relationships and even from God that there's still consequences that get played out um, in this life there's th- This can be especially true in relationships when there's a pattern of irresponsibility, yeah, maybe it means you don't get the the credit card back, maybe it means there' um, you're not able to be in a certain um, ministry or, or something. Forgiveness between people does not mean that things will always be exactly the way that they were. Yes, sin wrecks things. Sometimes it keeps it from healing back the exact same way that it was. Sometimes the relationship will never be the same in this lifetime. And forgiveness in the church does not mean an immediate restoration to leadership. There's sometimes where it, it does mean that we, we can forgive you, but it might mean that you're not going to be put back in a certain position anytime soon, or, or maybe not in this lifetime. It's just We have to realize that the, there's, that's kind of a caveat. But the great thing is real forgiveness in so many situations is like, it can be like a bone that heals stronger after breaking, that you can have a, a stronger relationship with someone going through this, Because now your relationship is tested. That now you know how you're going to deal with things when you do have conflict. And that happens many times. I can think of examples, and I hope that you can too, where a relationship has actually been stronger because you've gone through conflict and healed the right way and healed stronger because of it. But there are times when forgiveness comes very, very hard. Sometimes we need to work on these bad attitudes that we have or wrong expectations. Maybe we're holding up to way too high a standard of repentance that they're not going to hit. Sometimes we think that they need to earn our forgiveness first. Christian, aren't you glad that you didn't have to earn God's forgiveness first? Sometimes we want to punish them by withholding forgiveness. To counteract that we need to ask remind ourselves how our part may have contributed to this and we need to focus on how much God forgave us in the past how forgiven we are and that can be something that helps us to forgive others you know the book of Romans says blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is a man whose sin the Lord will never count against him but the reason that's possible is because of what it said a few verses before, that, that God made Jesus Christ the propitiation for our sin. But the reason this could happen is because Jesus absorbed the wrath. He died on the cross for us. Jeremiah 31, 24, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 130, 3 through 4, if you, O Lord, kept the record of sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I said at the beginning of the message that reconciliation is always the goal. And I really believe that, even when there's times where it's not going it, to it, it, you may think reconciliation can't happen. the other person's passed away. The other person refuses to reconcile. Or situations where the other person, because of abuse or something, you just you can't and should not have a relationship with that person again. But if we're being Christ-like, if we're thinking from a biblical worldview, we need to remember that it's not just this life, is it? That there's an eternity that is after this life. And yes, there may be situations where it will never be the same in this life, but this life isn't the only chance that we have for full reconciliation. I know there's people here that, that you were not able to reconcile with someone before they passed away. If that person's a believer, don't think that your chance for reconciliation is done. Because if that person is a believer and you are a believer, one day you're meeting up in heaven, do you think you're going to be unreconciled for eternity? You're going to get to heaven. You are going to be cleansed of your sin. That person is cleansed from their sin. You are going to be reconciling very quickly. And yeah, the situation may not be exactly like it was on earth, but it's, <laughs> you're two sinless people. It'll be a stronger reconciliation than was ever even possible on this earth. So don't give up that hope. That is there for you. And I will say, it's, it's, if that person's a believer, it's a certain hope. There may be people that they died owing you an apology you know what, you're going to get that apology from a pure heart one day from that person in heaven if they are a believer. And you're going to embrace each other in in love and in reconciliation through the love of Christ. There may be people that in this life, they've sinned against you, whether for abuse or something like that. You can forgive them from your heart, but maybe you should have nothing to do with them. There are people that sometimes... uh, You know, people that aren't married that break up. And yeah, they should never reconcile in the sense of having the relationship the way that it was. But our goal is always reconciliation. Our goal is for them to become believers so that one day, yeah, it would not be safe or good for you to reconcile in that way here. But if they're a believer, when they're in heaven, they're washed clean, that you can have that genuine reconciliation. I mean, there's reconciliation between martyrs and and people that, that killed them that became Christians. There's going to be awesome reconciliation in this world to come. And if they're not a believer, that's, that's our goal for them. We need to rid ourselves from, from hatred in our heart to, to pray for their salvation, that God will forgive them the way that he forgave us. Reconciliation is so much better than mere forgiveness. Aren't you glad that God didn't just merely forgive you? He didn't say, okay, I forgive you, but I don't want anything to do with you. He reconciled to you to him, to have a relationship with him forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of reconciliation. And although this is hard, help us to have the grace to do this. It was, it was hard for the father to give the son. It was hard for the son to come down and experience what he experienced. From human way of speaking, it was hard, but it was, you did it because of your love and because of your grace. Make us like you. Help us to to love and to communicate, to speak truth, to seek reconciliation, to grant forgiveness in a way that is supernatural, in a way that does not come from our natural heart, but comes from a new heart that you put in us. May you, our God of reconciliation, be with us in this, and may you receive all the glory.